Welcome to On the Wet Coast, a podcast about sexuality and ethical non-monogamy of every variety. We talk polyamory and swinging, monogamish and open relationships, from dirty, dirty sex to heartbreak. We share our personal experiences and philosophy, observations and theories, what works for us, and where we fucked it right up. Join us on the Wet Coast. Attraction is a mysterious thing. There are physical and personality characteristics and people we're almost always attracted to, perhaps a certain body type or a sense of humor. Other times, it can be harder to nail down why a certain person hits all the yes buttons for you, or what can make us override our usual deal breakers. They could be completely different than what normally gets you going, and if you lined up five similar people, you might not feel anything for any of the others. Attraction can even be situational. You can find yourself interested in someone in a certain time and place when they wouldn't have the same appeal in others. Whether it's biology and pheromones, cultural influence, or personality, there are myriad factors at play in who we find attractive. On this episode of On the Wet Coast, Kat Stark is here with me, Flick Morrison, to talk attraction. Hey, welcome. I guess the the first thing people often talk about with regards to attraction is type. Yes. What's your type, you know? Yeah. Um, trying to, I guess, hone in on what your tastes are and what you might be into. Yeah. It's interesting because, like, a lot of people have a physical type and also have kind of a personality type. Right. And and type is is not, like, the only kind of person we're attracted to, but it's often kind of a start point of, like, if a person has, you know, this list of characteristics, there's a good chance I'm going to be attracted to them. It's it's actually really interesting. I don't know that I could give a list of qualities that are, you know, my type, but you always seem to know if I'm going to find somebody oh, attractive. Yeah. Tall, kinky moms, <laughs> uh, asymmetrical haircuts, um, often a little bit sort of boyish. Um, yeah, those tend to be, uh, that tends to be your type. You don't know me. <laughs> Um, whereas you're attracted to beardy smartasses. Yes. Yeah. Roguish scoundrels, I tend <laughs> to uh, describe them, but they need to be short, tidy beards. Yeah. Very, very specific beard preferences. Yeah. Not the sort of biker or hobo beard. Yeah. I, that, that does not work for me. The mountain man thing, um, can really shut off my attraction even on someone that I was attracted to, which actually happened when one of my people showed up with a mountain man beard one day and I was like, I cannot even kiss you because <laughs> I, I don't want that on my face. Um, and I, yeah, often like the tall, dark and handsome tends to uh, have influenced my, my type. Though that is in like masculine people and feminine people, my type is all over the place. Although like dark haired kind of pin up uh, like forties kind of or rockabilly is like pretty much always my jam. I think you also like the kind of like the, I, I think what's sexy about rockabilly is the combination of that kind of old fashioned look with like, you know, tattoos yeah. and piercings and yeah. So the, the, yeah, you, the interesting thing about type is that you, you described it as a starting point. Often we're attracted to people who fall outside that or even the opposite yeah. of what our usual type is. And, you know, with uh, often, like, you know, uh, men will describe themselves as, like, you know, an ass man or a tit man. Mm-hmm. Um, super classy, you know, yeah. like. Uh, <laughs> I have described myself as an ass man. <laughs> yeah, and and I, I'm kind of a back man. I really mm. like sexy backs. Yeah, and, you so, do. Yeah. And one of the great things about sexy backs, actually, is that you can see them on TV. Mm-hmm. You, you, you know, you can't, you can't, you usually can't see somebody's ass. You can never really see somebody's tits on TV, but, mm-hmm. but, uh, but backs, yeah, yeah, they're not afraid to show that somebody slinking out of bed. Yes. Yeah. Backs are good. I like backs. It's interesting you talk about different types for different genders. Um, is there like a different personality type for different genders or, um, or just still like, Smart I think asses. I still like smart asses. <laughs> I think that's a personality type that I'm that I'm charmed by a lot. And that's in friendships too. Like even if I'm not physically attracted to someone, that's just like 
I tend to enjoy spending time around smart asses, but there's, I think it is quite, quite different with different genders. Cause I, yeah, I think probably related to the fact that I grew up seeing males as who I would, who I was attracted to. Right. Um, so that is where I formed like really, really specific opinions. Whereas once I was an adult and realized I was tra- attracted to other genders, I was figuring it out then. So I just haven't had as much time invested in as much of the cultural thing, like as my sexuality formed. Less codified during formative years. Yeah. Right. So that kind of thing, um, you know, having Han Solo as like one of my first crushes really codified the roguish scoundrel, um, smart ass as like, what I was attracted to um, in men. But yeah, not really having that and, and having sort of secret crushes on, on girls and, and uh, people of other genders that I just, I, I wasn't able to really admit that to myself and all that kind of thing. Like it, it just didn't imprint as much. I think it's unfair to call back to Han Solo because I, th- I think even, uh, I think even straight guys crush on Han Solo. <laughs> Maybe more than anybody else, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it worked out well for me because, you know, it meant that a lot of fellows that I've been involved with, like, developed those characteristics. Right. They wanted to. They cultivated a lot of soloness in themselves. Vests and, you know, and um, homicidal self interest. Yeah. Um, So attraction can also be pretty situational, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and obviously sort of, you know, going outside our type is one of those areas where, where it can be very situational, but, you know, sometimes it's actually a specific context. And I can actually remember sometimes, you know, having uh, unexpectedly spending hours with somebody just talking and talking and talking and feeling this really intense attraction and connection. But it was completely ephemeral, like, you know, uh, never really talked to them after that Mm. and, you know, and that kind of thing. And so, you know, sometimes it can be really fleeting and maybe it's just, you know, the, the, the way you, you, uh, you both were that night. Mm -hmm. And those moments are beautiful and awesome. Um, I think a lot of the time we would look at that and say, oh, well, that didn't work. Or it was a missed opportunity. Yeah. But But no, it was a very successful, extremely short-term relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) and awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It is an interesting thing. And there are spaces and times that, like, I think uh, desire is one of those places a lot of the time that... Um, when we're at like a sexy resort with a bunch of naked people and there's just that sexy energy around us right. just kind of swirling all the time. I think you, you look at people like sort of everybody in that lens as potential people. And so it, it, it leads to sexy experiences much more quickly than it would like if you had to really build that potential in yeah. another space. Uh, yeah. And, and it's the, you know some so much about somebody already by yeah. the fact that they're in that context. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I think also having that really sort of heightened sexual environment, you know, and whether it's at that or at a play party or a convention. Yeah. Like it just um, – and, you know, and, and probably also the uh, the temporary nature of it. Yeah. That you've got a limited amount of time, and so, you know, it, it, can, it can prompt, you know, a, a lot of – um, you know, a lot of action that, that, you know, might not, not otherwise get, get activated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that kind of everybody knows that this might be a one-off. Yes. Um, yeah. And that you're not making promises. Whereas if you have dates at home and, and go through all of the process of the, the messaging and the, the okay Cupid or whatever Cassidy that you're using and, you know, jump through all the hoops and the coffee date and the sexy date, you know, there's that investment of time and energy often sort of obligates extra work into like, is this going to work? Whereas when you're in that sexy space, you know, there's that immediacy sort of allows for like, why don't we give this a shot? And if it doesn't work, or we're just too busy for the rest of the time, like, wonderful, this was great. Thank you. You know, it's not going to happen again. There's also a lot less overhead in those situations, right? It's like, you know, your room is two doors down from mine, as opposed to when can we get together? Yeah, doing the Google Calendar uh, 
Yeah, there, there's something really unsexy about, you know, um, busy schedules and trying to, you know, it's like, it's like, oh, I might be able to see you next fall or, yeah. see, and, uh, and yeah, like I've, I've had a lot of things fizzle out just because of, of that kind of, you know, busyness. And I've also noticed your attraction to guys is ramped up in that situation. Interesting. Like you don't, you don't hook up with guys because you're, you know, That's straight. straight yes. <laughs> um, but that is where you will, like, say, like, I would have kissed, you know, that guy or, you know, that guy is hot. And um, although Justin Timberlake types are totally your, <laughs> That's my type. your type. Well, also, also Sawyer from Lost, but he's almost like Justin Timberlake 20 years older and yeah. scruffier, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I found that uh, being a service top, I can generate sexiness in that scenario um, and not necessarily BDSM service top, but like sexual service top when I've wielded an 11 on someone that I didn't actually have a sexual connection with, but they wanted this experience. And I'm like, I would love to give you this experience. Um, or when I've, you know, given someone experience, you know, wanting to get fucked with a strap on and, and, you know, we've had like a bit of a dynamic. And then once I'm, once I'm in the situation, the sexiness grows. So sort of a, a reactive, uh, um, sex drive. Yeah. Um, so the, the attraction gets created just right. being in that space. Whereas it, it wasn't at that level when I went into it. So I've orgasmed while, you know, using something like that and, and sort of gone in thinking like I'm doing this for this other person. And then I've ended up getting a lot out of it. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, groups, group sex can sometimes be like that, whether it's in a play party or it's, you know, smaller, like threesome, foursome, fivesome, mm -hmm. where it's, it's like, you know, I don't know that I would really want to, you know, um, have one-on-one -on -one sexy times with you, but in this environment, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm really hot for this person. I'm really hot for the situation. And, you know, and so in that, in that context, it can, it can be really hot mm -hmm. and you can find yourself with, you know, attraction for somebody that you, you, you know, you wouldn't have sort of, you know, out in a, in a vanilla party or, um, or otherwise. Yeah, and I think being aroused turns off a certain amount of our frontal lobe processing. <laughs> um, so, you know, it makes sense that, like, our rules of attraction would also be de, like, sort of de, um, emphasized, like, they're, they're, or deprioritized or whatever. It's just like, oh, I'm in this situation and I'm turned on. So, like, woo. I wonder if that has a lot to do with what makes it easier to, um, to be attracted in an environment like desire or a play party yeah. is just the fact that you, you spend a lot of time in a, you know, in a heightened state of arousal, just yeah. kind of low level arousal almost constantly. And yeah. so, um, so yeah, you're kind of a little bit drunk on the hormones. Yeah. One of the things that I find really interesting about attraction is how, um, I can have like different intensities of attraction for people. Mm. So, you know, I might be uh, drawn to somebody and like really like the idea of like kissing and cuddling them, but not really want to have sex with them. Or I might like the idea of, you know, playing a sort of a bit of light play at a play party, but not, you know, not really sort of specifically engaging with them. So maybe like a bit of kissing and touching while we're mm. playing with other people. Yeah. I, you know, I might think that's, that, that sounds like a really fun idea. Um, but, um, but not really want something that's, that's more focused and intimate. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. And I've definitely had the experience of playing in group situations that, that I probably wouldn't have done one-on-one. -on -one, right. Um, and, and really enjoyed it and had wonderful experiences, but, but yeah, there's that, the, the, the focused intimacy thing, mm -hmm. um, it, it's a different kind of situation. But yeah, it's interesting that you say that. And I know that you have that sometimes with dates and stuff with people that, you know, you, you will sort of have cuddle hookups with and stuff. I think and, I sometimes have cuddle crushes on people too. Yeah. Like you just, you just want to snuggle the heck out of them. And, and I think that's a great thing. And I think just because I grew up like socialized female that, that I'm so, 
caught up in the idea that I owe men things Mm -hmm. that I just don't let myself even start that potential escalation unless I know I would be willing to go as to sex. Um, like not necessarily at that point, but at another point, like I need to know that I could get all the way there before I'll even start in general. And so I've had dates where someone's come over and I've said, like, I'm not up for PIV tonight. Um, I, I, don't have much energy. Would you like to just masturbate together? And so I, I can set that specific in that point. But I think, but that's there's a premise of a, you know, of a you know, a more sexual, greater context. And yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. Whereas if I was willing only to masturbate next to that person on the bed, and that was as far as I was willing to go sexually, I don't think I would even masturbate on the bed with them yeah i i think it's i think it's tough because um it is i think it's really hard not to feel like a limitation on our attraction um isn't a rejection of some sort right like so someone's like you know i really like you i'd really like to to cuddle with you but i don't i don't really know about about uh you know taking our pants off and stuff it's like it's like i think that that'd be kind of a pinchy thing to have to hear yeah um and um you know and it's unfortunate because i think it it creates barriers to other types of intimacy that we might be able to have with people yeah and um and i think a lot more people could use cuddling and and that sort of thing that they're maybe not getting because we can't do that yeah absolutely yeah and and um you know and and a lot of people a lot of singletons who are who are lonely Mm -hmm. you know maybe they just want cuddles but you know they can't really get cuddles without the kind of premise of of sex and um you know and and it's interesting because i have a i have a long distance relationship where the sexual component of our relationship is very tertiary mm-hmm. and, you know, and so it's primarily about, you know, talking and crying and it's, it's really lovely to like, you know, cuddle and be naked together and, and that kind of thing, but we don't really have sex very often and it's mm-hmm. not a, a significant part of our relationship. And, um, and, you know, and, and I think it's just because, um, there's, for us, the intimacy of our relationship is, is really fully realized in other ways. Yeah. And, um, and in fact, some of that, the kind of emotional intensity is maybe a bit of a cock block and it kind of, you know, turns off a lot of the kind of hormones that, that make you want to, want to, uh, get down and dirty. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, Esther Perel in Mating in Captivity, you know, that's a big part of the, the premise of the book and and why a lot of long-term relationships lose that sexual charge because of that increased intimacy and so i could see even in a a newer relationship if you go right to that sort of level of emotional intimacy that it could do like what would be like 10 years into a uh, long-term relationship yeah is it's it's very much like that and yeah. and you know before before we um we met in person there was a lot of like you know um phone calls and a lot of sort of you know um emotional uh you know heart heart pouring out and that kind of thing mm-hmm. and um you know and the the first time we we spent the weekend together in person you know it um we we joke about crying being third base for us um <laughs> i wasn't sure if you misspoke when you said talking and crying were the primary parts of your relationship but no no, no. <laughs> it really is. i was sort of sitting here going like did he mean something else <laughs> no no but no. no. what do you think i meant no i okay. i wasn't sure <laughs> i thought you meant like connecting or like something and yeah that's hilarious. no no crying yeah like so yeah that's we we go there (laughs) (laughs) super kinky (laughs) um you know and and uh it was um i want to talk about this a little bit more because it um it was tough not having judgments about myself and about our Mm. relationship and i think it was tough for both of us and Mm -hmm. you know and always having excuses about oh well you know it's like this because um you haven't been feeling well or because of this and you know but when it's when it's persistent 
you kind of have to acknowledge that, okay, this is not situational. This is about our dynamic. Yeah. So. Yeah. It would be nice to be able to feel comfortable expressing that affection for people. And again, like I won't be physically affectionate, particularly with, uh, with masculine people, unless I feel sexually attracted to them because right. I don't want that to be misread. No. And, and, uh, and I remember at a play party that we were at a few months ago where, um, you know, there were, um, we're, we're in a, a steam bath and, um, you know, and some of our female friends, guys would ask if, you know, could I rub your shoulders? Can I rub your feet? And, um, and you would always just be no right away, mm-hmm. even the, you know, and, um, and I can understand why they said yes, because it's just a massage. And I can understand why you said no, because it's not just a massage. It's the premise of escalating to something yeah. else. Yeah. It allows that touch. And, um, yeah. And I think I, I don't get asked often because I think I give off a vibe of, of don't, don't touch me. Ask me. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I, I really do. And I, I don't know whether it's conscious. It's maybe a little bit. Um, <laughs> But, um, and I think the only times that I have accepted that sort of thing was at desire, uh, from someone who said specifically, would anyone like a platonic shoulder massage? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I would like a platonic shoulder massage. And so the platonic piece was part of the offer. Yeah, as well established. So I, I didn't feel like I owed that person anything and I didn't feel like I was, escalating something that I wasn't interested in escalating. Um, or if, yeah, like someone that I thought I might play with at a later date and, and they, you know, were like, Oh, Hey, can I do this? And I was, I, I accepted it though. I did feel a bit weird because I'm like, well, I'm not going to go over to the bed with you right now. <laughs> um, but so I was a little tense during the massage. Like it's hard for me to just accept it even in that situation. But um, yeah. And, and I think that, that this is one of like, again, this is why these other levels of intimacy aren't really part of our physical expression with each other Yeah, because it, it tends to be predicated on the premise that this is, this is a beginning. This is a beginning. It's, it's yeah. foreplay and, you know, and I, I don't think it needs to be. Yeah. And the, that uh, steam bath party that we've gone to a few times, they actually have a really great like icebreaker game that they call the car wash, where it gives people an opportunity to practice asking um, for consent and, and giving consent or refusing consent um, where everybody gets in the showers and they have, you know, scrubs and stuff like that. So you can wash each other. And so everyone has to ask like, Hey, can I wash your back? Can I, can I do this? And you get to say yes or no. And it's a good exercise in practicing that, but I don't go do it because I don't, like, because we, like, when we've gone, we've just gone to play with our, like, the group that we've gone with. Yeah. And so I'm not interested in opening myself up to strangers and potentially having some sort of consent violation, even though it's not supposed to happen, but I don't really trust people. Um, <laughs> it, like, even though I think it's a fantastic thing, I just, I just don't even participate because yeah. I know that I'm not interested. Yeah, it seems like it'd be really nice, but it, it also seems like... Uh, especially if, if you're not intending to, uh, to hook up with new people, it's like scheduling a future rejection that you have yeah. to, that you have to administer. So, yeah, I sort of feel like I'm leading them on by being part of it. And, yeah. and you know, there's absolutely nothing in the world worse than leading someone on <laughs> as far as I was raised. Yeah. So. Now it's it's interesting sort of the the flip side of attraction would be turnoffs um but you know those are almost as ineffable as attraction is. Yes. You know there there often we will think about some things as being sort of you know um uh hard limits like you know somebody smoking or mm-hmm. um you know really into astrology or <laughs> That is definitely one of yours that I that I almost hear hear things you hear shutting the, down. Yeah, you hear, you, you hear the train brakes coming on in the street. Yeah, um, it, it's and and it's funny because um, that type of thing, you know, it's, it's obviously super judgmental. Um, it's an off switch 
generally only in a certain context or stage, right? Mm-hmm. So if there's somebody I'm, I'm really fond of and, you know, and really sort of, you know, love and I'm, I'm attracted to, it really doesn't matter. It's just, you know, it's just something funny. But, yeah. you know, I, I, I do remember you're like, you're, you're probably thinking of when we were at a party and, uh, there was this, um, you know, um, sexy woman with asymmetrical hair. Um, and, you know, and you kind of looked at me because you, you knew that this is somebody I was instantly attracted to. And then she started talking about astrology. And, yeah. uh, and that was, that was the end of that crush. Yeah. So. <laughs> and you're sometimes, yeah, like, like with that person, like you were super attracted to them and yeah. then just like, bam. And that has happened to me. Not necessarily with people I was super attracted to and and it shut down, but it was like, this person is a potential I'm trying to figure out if I'm attracted to them. Mm. And then they start making dad jokes. Okay. And for me, that is just an off, off switch. And it's interesting because I like, like funny people and I like, I like puns and I even kind of like bad puns, but there, there's something, there's just a different tone with the dad joke and it, turns them sort of into this goofball and like I like goofballs but I don't there's some I can't even yeah it's ineffable yeah it is ineffable and and it just it just shuts me right down because now I just can't take them seriously they're kind of clownish and it yeah like it it just it turns off my attraction and I think that's sometimes why I especially once we became non-monogamous, I, I was so attracted to younger guys because they don't tend to be dads. <laughs> and they don't tend to make dad jokes. And they don't tend to make dad jokes because, you know, dads, like, learn this, like, I've got to entertain my kid all the time with this goofiness. Yeah. And, and it just, yeah, it's a strange thing. Um, <laughs> and sometimes someone is really physically attractive in, in all the right, sort of, you know, bilaterally symmetrical. Yeah. They're there may be like really physically shiny hair fit, and shiny yeah. hair. Their coat is gleaming. Their <laughs> their hooves are you know, <laughs> like um there's all these things going on, but they you know, and I'll look at them and think, yeah, they're aesthetically pleasing or, you know, blandsome or I don't sometimes there are people who are, you know, objectively sexy. Yeah. But there's just, there's, it just doesn't activate anything in me, right? Yeah. Like, like, you know, it's like, uh, it's like looking at a painting or something. Yeah. Um, although I guess there are probably people who want to fuck paintings, but, um, <laughs> but it, but, Roll 34. <laughs> <laughs> Roll 34. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And, and one of the things that I feel like was a lot early, easier when I was younger to be, you know, to just, um, be aroused by beauty mm-hmm. and, you know, and, uh, whereas now, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, there, there just needs to be that, that ineffable it factor to, to create that connection. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when, uh, the, the other thing is that sometimes someone is so hot to us that it overrides all our deal breakers yeah. and, you know, and, and, uh, all of our, you know, judgment and, um, sensibilities. So, you know, you might like, uh, I remember you were, you were dating someone who was a smoker and a hunter and you just didn't want to hear about the hunting. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, I, I, I remember us, uh, uh, talking about a, a couple and saying, you know, well, they're hot, but I don't think they're overlooked casual racism hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes we can we can overlook things that yeah, normally we we if we they were on a list of like, hey, this person has these qualities, you'd be like, oh, no, no. not a chance. Yeah, until um, you meet that person. Yeah, and uh, but if you meet them and have that connection first and that attraction and that all that is going on and then it's like, oh, okay, they're not, you know, like, they're they're pro-life or something. And I'd be like, oh, could I fuck someone who's pro-life? Like, <laughs> um, and, uh, or anti-choice, as I tend to think about it. Um, and often the answer is no, but yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> there is that chance that, that if they were hot enough, I might... Uh, might shut that down. Yeah. I, you know, and, and, and it's, it's absurd, but, you know, sometimes there are people that, that I just find, you know, so attractive that I, I just can't talk. 
Oh, I yeah. don't that, even know what to say. That happens to me all the time, God. particularly with femmes. Right. Like, that is where I'm just like, <laughs> pretty. <laughs> like, that is just, yeah, there's there's just white noise and the word pretty and giggling. Like, that's just, <laughs> that's all that happens. But uh, speaking of shutting down, perhaps we should take a break and come back with some more on the wet coast. Twenty years into her marriage, Kat and her husband faced head-on the great underlying fear of most monogamous people. My partner wants to have sex with other people. For them, that truth led to a roller coaster of new sexual and romantic adventures. After starting things off with a fun and friendly threesome, this couple explore ethical non-monogamy through swinging, casual sex, group sex, solo dating, and eventually stumble into polyamory. In her new book, Yelling in Pasties, The Wet Coast Confessions of an Anxious Slut, Kat Stark tells the story of her first three years in non-monogamy, how her life and relationships evolved, from the dirty, dirty sex to the heartbreak, and back again, without glossing over the parts where she upped it right up. Join Kat on her very sexy journey by buying Yelling in Pasties, available at Amazon. Find out more at onthewetcoast.com. And we're back. Hello, welcome back to On the Wet Coast. Hey. So one of the things that I find kind of interesting is how familiarity interacts with attraction. Mm-hmm. Um, I do remember, uh, you know, being at uh, at a play party and then, you know, spending time with, with a bunch of the same people over, over a weekend. And there was someone I met at that play party who uh, I wasn't especially attracted to, but over the weekend I became more and more attracted to. Mm. And there was someone else at that play party that I was instantly like super hot for and found that actually diminishing over the weekend as I kind of got to know them more and more. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Those qualities of personality really start to kick in. Yeah. Um, so it it's always a factor in who we're attracted to. But the more time you spend with someone, it either ramps things up and you realize you have so many things in common and they have all these qualities that you would be attracted to in a friend. Yeah. And if you're already physically attracted to them even a little bit, that's going to continue to build. Yeah. But if it's also someone that you don't like those qualities in, in platonic friends and people that you're going to spend time with, you know, that's going to hurt their attractiveness as it goes yeah and you know and or you might you might see them drunk for the first time yes. and uh it turns out that they are an obnoxious asshole when mm-hmm. they've been drinking um or you just might be off put about how sloppy they let themselves get um mm-hmm. and um you know and as you spend time with somebody you learn more about them and you might learn something about them that that you just uh really don't like or you know or the opposite you you might learn you know like seeing uh you know sort of their their compassion or their passion for you know what they've uh, devoted their life to mm-hmm. um there's just all kinds of ways that familiarity shifts attraction and so I, I i think sometimes there can be a temptation to even isolate somebody to certain contexts so that you don't need to learn stuff about them mm. and kind of kill that buzz and mystery. That can be why casual sex can be so hot. Yes. Because you don't know each other very well. And so it's just like all you've got is that raw physicality if that if that is there. Yeah. So if you've got that um, that chemical connection and that physical connection, it's like, yeah, no, I don't want to know what you did on the weekend. And I don't <laughs> want to know um, anything about your life because I just want this to be this. 90 minutes, time to go. Yeah. <laughs> I will do three hours for sex, but yeah. 90, I, <laughs> 90 I do, minutes is your limit. I do enjoy the 90 minute casual thing. <laughs> it's like, all right. It's kind of hot. Efficiency right, is hot. <laughs> That's a strange personality thing that can can really turn me on. <laughs> you know, I I don't know the veracity of this, but there I know there have been studies that have uh, that have suggested that um, women become less sexually attracted to somebody as they become more familiar with them, and men become more sexually attracted to somebody as they become more familiar with them. Hmm. Yeah. You sound skeptical. Yeah, I. 
And, but you know, but this is, yeah. this is a study, which means it's statistical, which means that, you know, you can. Lots of people fall outside. Lots of people fall outside. And probably people that even fall inside can think of examples that fall outside. Yeah. I think I just tend to think as typical people, like I am one of the, the, the people that um, would describe as megasexual, which is the thing that Dr. Liz and uh, the Frisky Fairy came up with. So that's someone who needs to uh, establish a physical connection before they get to know someone. Um, and I know that I'm kind of a rarity as uh, a femme person to, to have that happen. Yeah. Um, that's, that's not typical for femmes. Um, you know, it's certainly it happens, but it's, it's not sort of the usual. Whereas I talk to so many femmes who really need to get to know people yeah. before they can, um, let themselves be vulnerable enough to yeah. be sexual with someone. But what we don't, what we don't know though, is, is how much of that is, is social construct and how much of that is biology. We just, mm -hmm. we just don't. And, and there haven't been any convincing ways to, to tease that out that, that I'm aware of. Uh, and so, how how much of that is is the fact that uh, that sex in society is more dangerous for women, yeah. and so you know that to and and the the stigma about uh, female sexuality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, that's true. Yeah. Well, because when they redid that study that had been the one like the sort of famous one that was used for years to say that that women weren't into casual sex, that yes. done on a campus, you know, asking random men and women if they would like to have casual sex. Um, um, but then when they redid it and adjusted for like safety mm -hmm. um, and said like, if you could, if you could do this and be guaranteed to be safe and that no one would find out and like, la, 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 <laughs> it, it balanced, it balanced out out entirely. Out. So yeah, the safety factor is a huge piece of that. And I think emotional safety as well as physical safety. So one of the things that, uh, that people often talk about is uh, confidence, how mm -hmm. sexy confidence is. And people are just kind of naturally drawn to confident people. Now, th this might be, uh, you know, another one of these chicken and egg situations, how much confidence comes from being, you know, a sexy person, someone who's attractive and, yeah. you know, and it tends to get, you know, att uh, attention from the opposite sex because of their personality. Yeah. And I think naturally confident people, you know, tend to be perceived as, as more sexy. And I, and I think, yeah, that just getting that feedback and, and all that kind of thing all the time, it, they're able to project that. I think a lack of confidence can really take away from someone's appeal to a certain extent. Like, like if someone's just like a kind of shy and a little nervous and, and that kind of thing, that doesn't tend to harm someone. But with that sort of feeling sorry for oneself, hangdog expression, like, oh, nobody wants to play with me. <laughs> like, that kind of thing is just like a libido killer for most people. Well, uh, what's interesting, though, is you, you kind of mentioned vulnerability, but there's a there's a type of vulnerability that projects confidence, yes. right? Because it's like, you know, you're so at ease that, you know, you're willing to take ri take this risk yeah. by exposing something, expressing your um your your fears and anxieties. You know, that there's something that about that type of vulnerability that projects a lot of courage. Yeah, and there's that that willing to be open versus asking for pity. Yeah, yeah. Kind of thing that comes with the the difference between the um, you know, or someone just oh, I'm so fucked up, you know, and it's just like uh, you know, I'm not going to just be here to reassure you. Yes. Um and yeah, and I find that I I really get a bit of a reactive hostility <laughs> toward a lot of that kind of thing. Um, because I don't want to reward that behavior and that attitude, which is probably not very compassionate, but it's just <laughs> like, yeah, I was at a play party and this guy was just totally doing this, like, you know, hang dog, um, kind of thing. No one's asked me to join in, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, like ask to join in. Like, it's not up to me to make your night happen. And I just, it just shut down any appeal he might have had for me. No, it's, it, there's, um, 
there's definitely a, a thing where, um, where someone who is uh, feeling sorry for themselves, like that, that, that is not a quality that attracts people. Mm-hmm. And on the opposite side of it, someone who's like ridiculously cocky, you know, and just like arrogant and, and just so into themselves is often off putting as well. Like it's, there's sort of a balance there. Well, there's, um, I think the balance is that, that cockiness seems like a lie, right? Like it's overcompensating. Whereas mm-hmm. confidence is, um, is a, you know, a little bit quieter and doesn't need to assert itself to the extent that the cockiness does. And I think cockiness is often a bit condescending. Yes. And that is a really unappealing characteristic for me. Um, so that sort of, yeah, putting themselves above people thing that just, yeah, it's like, eh, not into it. But yeah, it is, it is usually an overcompensation as most of our things are. <laughs> <laughs> so we just desperately struggle along on this rock trying to be loved. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A little moment of existential loneliness from Catstar. <laughs> So, the taboo. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you getting all tingly over there? I'm, I'm just having some tingles in some places. Yeah, it, the taboo, the forbidden, it, it's one of those things as, as human animals that is often one of the strongest ways to uh, ramp up attraction. I don't know what it is about, about our... Uh, so what's an example of, of the taboo and the forbidden that can create a heightened sense of attraction? Um, well, you know, thinking of like in teenage years, like when someone's like, you know, if your parents are like, you can't date that person, they're bad for you. Or, oh, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. It's like, you want that person so much. Like, yeah. don't press the red button. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, I want to do nothing but press the red button. Yeah. Um. So, you know, and and things that, that are... Um, you know, like, like even being non-monogamous, like when we started (laughs) fucking people that, you know, weren't our spouses, like it, it's taboo. Like, you know, society has told us that, you know, you get to fuck one person once you're (laughs) married and, and that's it. Until you marry somebody else. Um, yes, until you marry somebody else. And so, yeah, getting to like, for me, that was like hugely arousing initially and and once it became normal it's like it's still awesome but it doesn't have that same like it doesn't have the charge um or like for me younger guys like being a woman in her 40s sleeping with guys in their late 20s like that had so much charge for me because like you're not supposed to do that (laughs) (laughs) so it's still still have a charge yeah (laughs) i thought so (laughs) though i haven't met any uh 20 somethings that I've wanted to sleep with in quite a while. What's interesting though, is that um, this kind of speaks a bit to how self-defeating some of the ways that uh, partners in open relationships try to control each other's uh, romantic lives is. So um, when back it up, back back it up, back back it up, up, beep, 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 Oh, it's a concrete pumping truck. Yeah. <laughs> pumping that concrete. That crane says putzmeister. <laughs> <laughs> what a putzmeister. Like, can you really be a putz and a meister at the same time? Like, well, That was a bit of a tangent. <laughs> um, so sometimes people in open relationships, uh, they try to control... Um, their partner's uh, romantic life through rules and stuff Mm -hmm. and, you know, and sometimes through either soft or hard veto, like, you know, expressing disapproval, trying to tell someone you're an NRE, you're making bad decisions. Yeah. When you're, that can really just kind of Romeo and Juliet somebody who's in the Mm -hmm. middle of NRE. So you're, and, you know, and people get so mystified about why people in relation, in open relationships will still cheat. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, taboo. that taboo, the forbidden. And yeah. it's, it's like, he, he, my partner doesn't like this person. And yeah. Yeah. It's. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> Motherfucker. 
Is it better to just let the beeping go while yeah. we just go? No, just go. We'll just go and okay. ignore it. We'll just yes. ignore it from now on. We we live in a city. Yeah. And sometimes there are beeps. <laughs> sometimes there are beeps. Sometimes cat beeps. <laughs> it's only when I'm wearing my R2D22. <laughs> Beep boop. All right. So we move on to confusion over attraction. So one of the things about attraction is because it's mysterious, sometimes it can be confusing to us. Mm -hmm. We might be attracted to somebody who we don't like or who doesn't, you know, who isn't consistent with what we understand about our attraction and sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it can really kind of mess with people's sense of identity because yeah. who we are and who we're attracted to is often a big part of our self-identity. Yeah. And uh, when people fall outside that sort of quote-unquote norm, it can really, yeah, it can make make a person want to really reevaluate, like, what does this mean? Yeah, yeah. And it really, it doesn't have to change who you are unless you allow it to change who you are. Like it could be one of those, well, this was valuable information to know kind of moments. Um, but it could just be that like perhaps you're a heterosexual person who happens to just like really want to fuck this one person who is not, you know, of the gender that your heterosexual self would normally be attracted to. Or perhaps you know, you're a lesbian woman or a gay man or, or something like that. And, and just like, for whatever reason, someone just falls completely out of those, those typical, uh, sort of boundaries that, that your attraction follows. Um, but yeah, unless you want to let it say something about you and decide that you actually have changed who you are, it doesn't have to, you could maybe just do a thing and, you know, or you don't even have to do a thing. Like oh, yeah. that's no, like that's... you know, attraction is not actionable. It's just a you know, it's just a feeling. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things that is really uh, damaging about typical monogamous culture is the idea that attraction is a transgression of some sort. Attraction yeah. for somebody besides your your monogamous sexual partner. Yeah, and um, you know, and. It, the reality is that you you don't need to do anything about it, yeah. and you can you can either enjoy it or be confused about it and guilty. But you you know you don't you don't need to you don't need to change anything or do anything. Yeah, and yeah, I hundred percent agree with that. But I also I guess the point I was trying to make that is that even if you want to act on it, and even if you do act on it, it still doesn't have to mean anything. No, it's true. Yeah. Um. That, yeah, like you can just still be the same person that has just had this other experience. Yeah, it's it, um, either either write it off as an anomaly or consider what it might mean in a bigger scope of things. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to just build it into the really cool shit you've done in your life. <laughs> now, a- attraction is something that science has been trying to understand. And, yeah. um, you know, because it is so complicated and because it is so confusing you know uh, biologically um the obvious purpose of attraction is procreation yeah but there are also inobvious benefits of attraction like the creative uh, the community and the bonding mm-hmm. the you know um humans the uh, the nature of our sexuality is qu- is fairly unique uh even compared to bonobos that probably have the closest to human sexuality um, th- just the the amount of the amount of bonding that's created yeah. through human sexuality, and I think because our infants are so vulnerable for so long, yes, um, that that you know you need that community and you need those those really deeply cemented bonds to make that happen. Because yeah, it's not like a, a year to to adulthood, you know. They're, they're completely helpless for such a long time. <laughs> a lot of attraction, you know, is is influenced by stuff that you talked about before, things that signal strong gene partner, you yeah. know, um, bilaterally symmetrical, uh, you know, uh, taller, you know, things that sort of signal health and yeah. genetic fitness tend to um, to make somebody attractive 
but obviously it's far more complicated than that mm-hmm. as well. But one of the one of the sort of uh, mysterious qualities of attraction can be chalked up to pheromones, yeah. which is essentially that there's this chemical exchange that that can uh, heighten or um, or detract from somebody's attractiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is uh, this is a, a factor of smell um, unconsciously. Yeah. And sim- and similarly, also uh, in uh, in saliva, you exchange pheromones. Yeah, and uh, and so you that can actually create um, a, a heightened or diminished sense of attraction. And I assume you know in other bodily fluids as well. Pro- probably. <laughs> um, and yeah, because I mean, there are those people that you kiss, and it's just like holy shit! Like it just it's on, <laughs> you know? Um, like it's just it. It immediately just ramps everything up to such a degree. And there's the people that you kiss that you perfectly enjoy kissing, and it's it's a nice experience. And they've got they've got kissing skills that are perfectly pleasant. And you know, um, and then there's the people that you kiss, and you're like, oh, oh, hmm, yeah. And it's funny though because sometimes somebody will kiss you wrong. Yes, you won't it's like their kissing. But you still want to keep kissing them, yeah. even though it's kind of unpleasant. You just don't want to pull your face away. Yeah, you know, and you just try to like teach them with your mouth. Yes, you try, you, try, you try to dom the kiss. Yeah, um, yeah, and and I, I, I think th- we're both total like notorious kiss domers. <laughs> I think you're right. Um, you know, and I, and I think that, that that is largely a function of pheromones. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's why you want to keep kissing is why you them rather keep, than just yeah. like stopping and being like, oh. Yeah. But, you know, I, I have had the experience of uh, feeling attracted to somebody, you know, really liking them, having known them for years. And then and then it's like, okay, well, let's let's get together for sexy times and then start kissing and thinking, oh, no, because the kiss was actually deactivating a mm-hmm. lot of the feelings that I was, that I, that I'd been having. And, uh, and yeah, so, so sometimes it's that, that chemical incompatibility yeah. is, is a barrier to, to attraction. Yeah. And I have invited people over with the premise of like, do you want to come make out and find out if we're compatible? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, just <laughs> basically like, do you want to come like, see if we like each other's spit? Um, <laughs> because it's a, it's a really important thing. And, you know, there, it is like the pheromonal thing is a, is an unconscious thing, but there's also the conscious smell that, that like you like want to wear someone's shirt Yep. And, um, or like want to just like jam your face in their armpit or, you know, like lick them and, and like just like there's, you just want their smell like all over you. And, and when you realize you smell like them, you're just like, <laughs> um, yeah. Like, well, you know, as, as someone who, um, who sometimes has trouble distinguishing between liking somebody and being attracted to them, um, you know, I've, I've often run, just run into problems where it's just, you know, um, I, I, th- I think I'm into somebody, but, you know, it, it turns out that I'm, that I'm not really. And I realized that kind of the, the most significant dis- sort of distinguishing characteristic is whether I want to eat their ass. <laughs> so if I want to rim somebody, I know that I'm really into yeah. them. And if I don't, I think maybe I'm not really that attracted to them. Yeah. You know, maybe it's, you know, and maybe it's a lower intensity attraction or maybe it's just not really that sexual of a connection. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would say similar. It was funny when I was talking about getting their scent all over you, I was thinking like, yeah, if you just want to like jam your nose in their nutsack. <laughs> and then I was like, no, I'm going too far. <laughs> <laughs> but then I went, I went, I went all the way. Yeah, so I'm like, awesome. Okay, <laughs> all right, we're going there. Um, what's interesting is that um, there are there are studies that show that hormonal cycles can affect who you're attracted to in terms of pheromones. Where mm-hmm. um, you know, essentially, uh, pheromones kind of signal uh, the types of antibodies that we have, and um, and ideally uh, for procreation, you want 
complementary antibodies, someone who has different resistances than yours so yeah. that your children will have wider resistance. Yeah. And so at different points in your cycle, you might be way more intensely attracted to somebody with different pheromones yeah. than um, than when your fertility is, is at its lowest. Yeah, where you want like the nesting partner and the nurturing exactly, and, yeah. and that kind of thing because that's that's who you want to have. Well, protect you and look after your baby yeah it's it's pretty um it's pretty interesting and uh and you and i were also reading earlier today about how uh people who've been on birth control pills who either have never taken the pill or um have consistently been on the pill with the same partner are more satisfied with their sex life with that partner Versus someone who has gone on and off the pill who is more likely to be interested in other partners. Yeah. Yeah. Or you you hooked up with that partner when you were on the pill and then you eventually go off and it changes yeah. how attracted you are to them. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's very interesting stuff. And um, I would recommend that. That if you're if you like like uh, reading about the science of attraction, yeah, that, uh, there's lots of stuff out there. Yeah, even just the uh, the Wikipedia article on sexual attraction has a lot of interesting stuff, as well as some uh, some cool stuff on um, Huffington Post recently. Mm-hmm. And at least they've started honking periodically out there. Too. Yeah, thanks, guys. <laughs> not not trying to do a podcast here. And sometimes the the attraction between two people is just out of sync, uh, either to a, a small degree or a really big degree. Yeah, I mean, that's really common. Like, people don't usually want to fuck absolutely everybody that they meet. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that, that means that, yeah, when you shuffle the deck, some a lot of people are just not going to be uh, attractive to you. And, um, you know, and, and this can be... This can really be a source of, of stress and anxiety, and, and it's hard not to feel rejected yeah. when you're attracted to somebody and they're not attracted to you. Oh, yeah, for and, sure. I mean, it is, it, it's a rejection. It's, you know, I don't, I don't know how else. Um, there's really no more clear example of rejection than when one person is very sexually attracted to somebody who is, who is not at all yeah. attracted to them. And, uh, you know, in monogamous culture that's basically a deal breaker like you know one person wants to get down the other doesn't like it's often just it's just not going to work well even the disparity of libido yeah in in monogamous culture is a, is a deal breaker yeah let, that's let, a whole let alone attraction whole other episode yeah. but what but what's um the unknown can be re- can be a real um a real source of stress and anxiety as well like yeah. trying to figure out you know, whether somebody feels the same about you. And uh, there's a phenomenon in uh, infatuation called hypervigilance, yeah. which is where you 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 analyze all the things that they said to you, all the things that you said that might have fucked everything up forever. And when, when you don't know whether somebody's attracted to you, uh, that hypervigilance can be constant. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, and, and it, it can be a, a, you know, a constant preoccupation. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, but I found that, uh, you know, I remember, uh, a few years ago when I was, when I was dating Star, after, after she broke up with me, uh, it was a few months and we started hanging out together. And at first I was like, I don't know if I can do this because mm. I'm still really attracted to her. Yeah. You know, as is like, Oh, you know, we go out and, and, and sit down and then she would take her sweater off and reveal her bare shoulders. And I feel like I was just going to fall over dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I, I was like, I don't, how am I going to be friends with somebody that I'm so attracted to? Um, but then I just remembered like all throughout my entire adult life, like, I've had crushes on people. I've been yeah. attracted to people just because we happen to have slept together for a little while yeah. doesn't mean that it's really any different than that. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that realization was really great. Like just that, um, I can enjoy that attraction and not have it inform my choices about our friendship at all. Yeah. And, um, yeah, the, you, your feelings can, can change, um, as you were, as it happened in that friendship, uh, that that 
her feelings shifted, which, you know, caused your feelings to need to shift. Yeah. Um, and, you know, then it, it definitely can, can change like whether you can be like, you know, have innuendo or not. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that's often in the, in the former relationship that becomes a lot trickier. That can become really mushy. Yeah. yeah. And, and I tend to prefer in former relationships, they're not to be that innuendo unless we already have like a really solid friendship. Right. Um, because then I sort of feel like I'm being guilted somehow. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, like it's just kind of, it, it just becomes awkward. Um, whereas in other times, if we've got a really strong friendship bond, like with hot mama, um, and, and because with her, I would like happily hook up if we could make our schedules match. Um, <laughs> like it, it it's there like you know we can be as innuendo-y as as possible and i don't think anything of it yeah whereas you know i remember there was there was an ex that um you were you were pretty committed to not rekindling your sexual yeah. relationship with him and you know and he he would he would send sexy messages and i think it was when he sent uh you know a dick pic that you were like okay just knock it the fuck off yeah yep yeah. So, so yeah, I, you know, I think, I think when thing, when things shift, there is some value to talking about, you know, what the future might hold. Right. So I remember when, um, when I, you know, a partner and I, you know, decided that we kind of wanted different things and it, it's like, you know, we were pretty clear about, you know, well, you know, it would be nice to play again, you know, if we're at a party or mm. sometime in the future and stuff. And, um, you know, and so, you know, in that context, the sort of, you know, the, the periodic flirty connection is, you know, is entirely appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whereas, whereas, uh, you know, I think it's, it should be obvious that if you have ended a sexual relationship and there's no, there's no intention of rekindling it, um, it should be obvious that, that that's the end of that context. But, yeah. um, but you know, I, I, I think that that, this kind of calls back to what we were talking about earlier about the idea how there's, there's a barrier to other forms of, of expression because, um, you know, if you, if you aren't interested in the end game, yeah. you have to, you have to put up barriers to the intermediate, um, steps as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and the idea of like, well, you like dick pics, and it's like, well, yeah, I do from the people that I'm involved with. Yeah, and they're saying, well, will you like shoulder massages? Yeah, from people that I have yeah. like established friendships with, or am involved with, or you or know, a massage therapist, um, or who has said, you know, I, I would anyone like a platonic massage? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it's it's super clear, but you just randomly sending me this thing out of the blue when we haven't had a friendship in a yeah. long time. Like this is just completely an appropriate yeah he really should have said would you like a platonic dick pic yes <laughs> and there's you know there's some friends that i might say yes yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah i mean um i i feel like i feel like if somebody is not you know a partner that i that i engage in almost constant sort you know sexual banter with i will t- i will ask them before yeah. I send them a, a sexy picture. Yeah. yeah. And I even ask the people I am involved with. Well, because um, you never know if their boss is standing behind them with their Facebook open. Yeah. So, so I appreciate that. <laughs> yes. Yes. As, as you know. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, as it's just continuing to get louder out there, and I feel like we've we've come to the end of our of our discussion, unless there's anything else you wanted to add? No, we have completely solved attraction. Perfect. And... Uh, this is this is the final authority. Okay. Well, I just want to say that I'm very attracted to you. I am very attracted to you. Wink. <laughs> so thanks for listening. Support what we're doing here by contributing to our brand new Patreon. Yay! At patreon.com slash on the wet coast. Was I supposed to cheer? I, I don't know. I didn't write cheering in, so... Yay! <laughs> Please help us get into the ear holes of more listeners by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other platforms. Follow us on Twitter at WetCoastCat, cat with a K, at SiriusFlick, at OnTheWetCoast. Email comments or questions to contact at OnTheWetCoast.com. 
And you can hear Cat and Flick's voices even more by buying the audiobooks of Cooper Beckett's novel A Lifeless Monogamous and approaching the swingularity at cooperasbeckett.com. Save 10% with code WETCOAST. Go to onthewetcoast.com for Cat's blog, toy reviews, and more. Or find her over on lifeontheswingset.com. And get Cat's book, Yelling and Pasties, The Wet Coast Confessions of an Anxious Slut, available now on ebook and paperback. Go to amazon.com or visit onthewetcoast.com for links to other marketplaces. Check out all the other awesome sex-positive podcasts on the Swingset Network at swingset.fm. Hi, I'm Mike Joseph from the Jericho Chronicles radio show and podcast, and you're listening to a Swingset podcast at swingset.fm. Am I crumping? <laughs> <laughs> Don't be a butts <laughs> <laughs>